When I move out one day, my mom will be very sad. I feel my mom's love in my heart, like, right here. I, I'm feeling it right now. Sometimes I love her, sometimes I don't. When I'm angry, I don't. My mom is everything to me. She just is this ray of energy and sunlight and positivity. The thing that I wish I could have done more of is thanking her. Didn't matter what shape I was in, I could always come home to mom. My mom was basically the glue that held me together. When I left the Philippines, I knew that my son will be in good hands because I know my mom will take care of him. My mom is kind of smart, you know, dad's mouth. If I would say like one to ten, it would be a five. Maybe my poor dad got the raw end of the deal, but I do remember my mother saying to him when there was an argument about something I'd done, she says, you don't want to hurt her spirit. I remember that. My mom was diagnosed with uh, a really rare disease about 12 hours before she died. So we didn't get a lot of time to, to talk or to say goodbye, but she did get to say that she loved me, which were her last words. Uh, and I cherish that. Because I have I've been able to hang on to it. I'm probably gonna say to my mom, you're a wonderful person. And you're my mentor. I tie a invisible string to my heart and she ties the same one to her heart and it's always attached together. My mother, she struggled a lot with addiction. Sorry, I'm getting upset. <laughs> yeah, it was hard. You know, you have partners, you have friends, you have kids, um, but there is nobody else who, um, who will ever care about you as much. My son now always tells me, I love you, Mama. But for 48 years, he realized I didn't say I love you to my mom. I can think of three words. I forgive you. You were a good mom. You did really good. Thank you, Mom. I love you, Mom. Well, good morning, everyone. And to those of you worshiping with us online or at one of our campuses, like Hope Ankeny, Hey, Hope Ankeny. Uh, it's so good to be worshiping with all of you. My name is Ashley Lentz. I'm a pastor at our Ankeny campus. And what a blessing and honor it is to be here with all of you on this Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, church. Happy Mother's Day to all of you. Um, I wanted to start with that video because I think it speaks to the many emotions that surround Mother's Day. It might be a really great day. It might be a really hard day. As I found that video, is created by a digital storytelling company, is what they call themselves. It's a marketing company. Uh, they do marketing for big names like Adidas, uh, Microsoft, Lululemon. And the founder of that company actually put that video together. And as I was reading about um, why she chose to put this Mother's Day video together, she began that article with a quote that I want to share with you this morning. She quotes New York Times bestselling author Mitch Albom, and he writes, Behind all your stories is always your mother's story, because hers is where yours begins. Behind all your stories is always your mother's story, because hers is where yours begins. 
Again, that might be a really great thing. You're looking at that going, yeah, I have an awesome mom and she built a foundation for me and I am where I am today because of her. You might look at that and think that's really hard. Maybe it's not so great where your mom's story started and it's hurt your journey a little bit along the way. I want you to know wherever you find yourself this morning, I'm so glad you're here. I am so glad you're here. We don't believe it's an accident. You're here, we don't believe it's an accident. You're worshiping with us. Thank you for being here. We're in a sermon series called, Can You Relate? And if you heard our scripture reading this morning, we read Proverbs 31. And when I saw that the scripture reading was Proverbs 31, I'll be totally honest, I was like, ooh, it's Proverbs 31. Now, if you've ever felt that way about any passage in scripture, let me tell you, that's okay. And instead of ignoring those passages, we really should dive into them and figure out what it is that maybe just doesn't quite sit right with us, where it elicits that reaction of like, ooh, that's what we're talking about today. So when I saw Proverbs 31, I thought, okay, I better do some research on Proverbs 31, because historically, and being completely honest, I can't relate to the Proverbs 31 woman. It's not, it's a text that's been used as a way to tell women or wives how to be and I can't relate to it, and I don't really want to fit this mold. If you open your Bibles with me to Proverbs 31, it's like in the middle of your Bible. We're going to dig into this a little bit, and I want to reframe the Proverbs 31 woman for you as we get started. Now, what you heard in our scripture reading is what I would call the good verses of Proverbs 31, okay? It's the last couple verses. It starts with verse 25. She's clothed with strength and dignity. She laughs without fear of the future. When she speaks, her words are wise, and she gives instructions with kindness. We get to the end of Proverbs 31, and you're like, yeah, she's great. But back up to verse 10 for a second. The header in my Bible is a wife of noble character, um, more accurately translated, the valiant wife. And when I think of those, those describing words, those adjectives, I want to be noble and I want to be valiant. But then I read what the author has written about this woman. She finds wool and flax and busily spins it. She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household. She goes to inspect a field and buys it. With her earnings, she plants a vineyard. Her hands are busy spinning thread, her fingers twisting fiber. And it goes on and on. And it's these things that, again, I can't relate to. So I read this and I think, really? Like, what am I supposed to take away from this text? Well, let's back up a little bit. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. All the Proverbs are like little nuggets of wisdom that are meant for life application. This proverb, the author is writing a poem. And in the original Hebrew, that poem, every line of that poem is a consecutive letter in the Hebrew, Hebrew alphabet. So what the author is doing very on purpose is describing a woman who is very holistic, literally from A to Z, if you will. And he's not describing a woman that we're all supposed to be. It's not a prescription, go and be her. He's simply describing a person. And she would have been very memorable. The original audience who heard this would have heard the consecutive letters of the Hebrew alphabet and, and remembered what kind of qualities she had. But he's not telling us, go and be her. And really, when we, again, pull ourselves out of the text a little bit, if we're looking at this at a 10,000-foot view, taking out a broad perspective, this woman is actually very important in her family, 
in her economy, and in her community. The way that she lives her life contributes to the important things around her. You could say she's a heroic figure used by God to bring love to God's people and to bring resources to God's people. That's something I can get on board with. A figure used by God to bring love to God's people and resources to God's people. As I was digging in, reading all these commentaries, because of course, like I needed to figure out what Proverbs 31 was all about, there was a quote that kind of stuck out to me from one of the commentators. Uh, This is Bruce Waltke, and he writes this quote. Next slide, thank you. Her very way of life teaches wisdom. So deeply rooted is it in her person. Her very way of life teaches wisdom. It is so deeply rooted in who she is. When we get to verse 30 of Proverbs 31, the author writes, Charm is deceptive and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. As we get to the end of this woman, she points people to Jesus. Who she is at her core is aligned with who God has called her to be, and people notice it. She is praised for how she points them to Jesus. And I'm wondering this morning, what do people see when they look at you? When you, when you look at the Proverbs 31 woman, when, when she was described or others heard her, that, that original audience heard about her, they didn't hear all the stuff that she did. They heard about Jesus and who she was. And so what is it that radiates from you? What do people see when they look at you. On the screen, you'll see pictures of my mom. I didn't ask my mom if I could um, use pictures of her. I just kind of told her I was doing it. So anyway, this is my really, really amazing mom. And my mom is strong and brave and kind and resilient. And she knows Jesus. She fears the Lord. And it radiates from who she is. My mom for the last year has battled breast cancer. And in all honesty, it is a miracle. And it is by the grace of God that she is here on this Mother's Day. For some of you, that's not your story, and God sees you, and he mourns with you. I'm so grateful that my mom's here, that she gets to be a grandma. I'm a brand new mom, and so this is our our little guy, Paxton. But when I look at my mom, she radiates Jesus. When I look at her life, I see God. What do people see when they look at you? I want you to be thinking about that this morning. And as we dive in, there are some strong women of scripture that I just want to point you to because here's the deal. Not all of us are called to be wives or mothers. There's gentlemen in the room and worshiping with us online. I'm sure you're not called to be a wife or a mother, but we are called by God for a specific purpose. You are the only you in this world. So what are your strengths? What has God already given you that you can use to point people to him? And so I want to take a look at a couple strong women in scripture just pretty quickly. These are women we don't really talk about all that often, but they're really cool. And they use their strengths, what God's already given them, to point people to Jesus. So real quick, Shifra and Pua, they're found in Exodus chapter 1. They are Hebrew midwives, so they help birth babies. And Pharaoh goes to them and says, I need you to kill every Hebrew baby boy. And they just flat out don't do it. And you don't really disobey Pharaoh. Like, that's not a thing that's an option. And they do. And they save probably a generation of Hebrew baby boys. And when Pharaoh confronts them about this, 
they say, Hebrew women are so vigorous in birth that they've already had their baby by the time we get there. Sorry. And, and it is what it is. And turn, turn the page, Exodus chapter 2, we meet Moses' mom. Her name's Joshebed. Moses' mom gives her baby up. Do you remember the story? She puts Moses in a basket and floats him down, down the river because in her strength, the greatest way she can love her son is to give him up. We meet Deborah in Judges chapter 4. Deborah, if you've ever seen the movie Wonder Woman, Deborah is the real life Wonder Woman, Old Testament Wonder Woman. Deborah is, she is a wife, but Deborah, Deborah is a prophet. She's a judge. She holds court in Israel and she settles many disputes is what the Bible tells us. And Deborah, my favorite part about Deborah, she leads an army. The male leader of that army goes to her and says, Deborah, I'm not going to go into battle if you don't go with me. And Deborah says, I'll go into battle with you. Deborah is a warrior and she uses her strengths to rescue God's people. Flipping to the New Testament, we meet Anna. She's found in Luke chapter 2. Anna is a prophet and really easily Anna could be labeled as very low in Jesus' day. She's a widow. She really has no status at all. But here's what Luke tells us about Anna. Anna is a prophet. She'd only been married seven years when her husband died. And she was a widow for 84 years. But Anna never left the temple. She stayed there day and night worshiping God with fasting and prayer. And Anna knows Jesus. Anna tells people about Jesus. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph and she began praising God. She talked about the child, Jesus, to everyone who'd been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Anna's title as widow does not define who she is. She points people to Jesus in a very tangible way. And flip a couple chapters later, we meet the women of uh, Luke chapter 8. My t- the title in my Bible is Women Who Followed Jesus. That's pretty cool, but listen to who they are. He took his 12 disciples, Jesus took them with him, along with some women who'd been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he'd cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were, listen to this, contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. These are women contributing from their own resources to support Jesus. This doesn't really happen. And here we have it. We hold it in our hands. Luke is saying these women made an impact on Jesus' ministry, never mind their past or who who the world might have said they are. They're making an impact in Jesus' ministry. I was really curious about the, the pastors that I, that I co-work with. I was curious about who's behind them. And I wondered if their mom had played an influential role in their, in their faith life growing up. So in some very scientific research this week, I sent an email to, yeah, uh-huh, to my coworkers. And I said, if you could just answer this really quickly, I would be very grateful. I asked them this question. Did your mom play an important role in your faith formation growing up? And I said, you can answer yes or just not so much. But I was curious. And I, I'm going to share with you the answers that I received. But first, I want you to know I'm not sharing this with you to, to shame you, for you to feel like if my kid doesn't grow up to be a pastor, I really failed. No, no, not everyone's called to be a pastor, okay? And I want you to know there were also a few people who said no, not so much. My mom didn't really form my faith growing up. So moms, it's not all on you. We're a community. We worship God together. But the majority of responses I got back were yes. 
emphatic yeses. Did your mom play an important role in your faith journey growing up? Yes. Here's why I share this with you. Because people watch you. Whether a parent or not, you are in a circle at work, at home, in your neighborhood, at school. You're in a circle where people watch you. And here's what my coworkers had to say about how their moms formed their faith growing up. It was things that they saw, things that they did. Yes, mom helped form our faith. And there are some really common reasons why this was the case. And I shouldn't be surprised that these were some of the reasons, but I'm going to share them with you. The first commonality among all the big yes answers I got was weekly worship. Mom took us to worship. Weekly. Mom took us to worship. It was the most important thing that mom did for us. She took us to worship. And I'm not really going to be subtle about this. Weekly worship. Mom brought us to weekly worship. You're catching on. Did you know the statistic is that regular church attendance is once a month? People who are considered regular church attenders come once a month. That's great. I'm, I'm glad you come at all. It's not enough. Weekly worship. It is so important to be surrounded by people who love you, to worship together. And what you do with your time says so much about what you value. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he's preaching, and Matthew records it this way. Jesus says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. People are watching you. And if we call ourselves Christians, if we call ourselves Christ followers, then people look at you to figure out what that means. And if we show them that I'm just going to go to, go to worship when it fits my schedule, I'm going to go to worship when it's convenient. The message we convey is following Jesus is just a convenient thing. It fits my schedule. I'll do it when I have time. That's not biblical. Following Jesus isn't actually convenient. It's really hard and it requires life change when you know Jesus when you've been encountered by God, when you know him, it upends your life in the best way possible. Parents, I grew up in Ankeny. I was an athlete. I was a good student. I felt pressure to perform really well. And before I was a pastor here at Hope, I, was, I hung out in student ministry for a couple years. And often I would hear kids telling me, I'm so tired. And I would say, well, did you just not get a lot of sleep? And they would say, no, I'm so busy. I have so much to do, and church was just something else on their list. If church is just something else on your list, especially as parents, what we're telling our kids is that everything else is more important or equally important, and it's not. Sports might get your kid into college. They might not. Academics might get your kid into college. They might not. But church, knowing Jesus, it has eternal impact. School doesn't. Sports don't. Knowing Jesus has eternal impact. So where you put your time, where your heart is, there your treasure also is. People are watching you. What are you showing them? The next answer for my colleagues 
about how their moms formed their faith was that mom prayed with them, mom read their Bible with them, and mom had open conversations with them. It's something that they did together, but it's also something they watched their mom do. On the screen, this is a picture of my husband, Tyler, reading. Paxton was like a really a newborn there. Uh, he's reading the I Am Bible to Paxton, and he cannot comprehend what's being read to him, right? But he looks at the pictures, and he likes the colors, and he's, his language is developing, so he's hearing the words. But your kids are watching you. Your friends are watching you. If we say that prayer is important, and if we say that reading our Bible is important, do it. Do it. People look at you to figure out what this whole Jesus thing means. And I promise you, you will not spend time in scripture and be disappointed. You will not spend time in prayer and be disappointed. You are building a very firm foundation for yourself and everyone else who's looking at you. It's really important. And ultimately what this boils down to is who are you? It's an identity thing. I don't want to preach law at you this morning. Do this and do that. Do this and do that. Not at all. We're not the Proverbs 31 woman. It's not about do, 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 do. It's about who she pointed people to. And so your actions point people to something. And that's an identity thing. Who are you? And what defines you, church? Who are you? And what defines you? Do people see Jesus when they look at you? It matters. It has eternal impact. For the remainder of our time this morning, I want you to be confident in who you are. I want to pour into your purpose and your identity because it matters and people are watching. And to do that, I want to show you a quick clip in just a minute. It's about a woman. She's searching. She's on a spiritual journey to find her purpose and watch as she discovers what that is. Take a look. So certain all my life I've been torn But I'm here for a reason Could it be the reason I was born? I have always been so different Normal rules did not apply Is this the
she didn't think I was talking about Elsa in Frozen 2. <laughs> it's true, though. She's on a spiritual journey. She's trying to figure out who she is and where she fits. And you know what I love about that scene? Is that this voice she's been hearing the whole movie, it's actually the voice of her mom. And when she steps into this, this place, when she discovers her purpose, you hear her saying, step into your power, grow yourself. And then you hear her mom saying, you are the one you've been waiting for all of your life. You are the one you've been waiting for. Church, you already have everything you need to step into your power because you know Jesus. Your life is defined by him. He knows you, he sees you, and he loves you. Do you believe that? He calls you his, and you are loved perfectly. You are loved purely. Do you believe it? God looks at you, and he loves you so much. He says to the prophet Jeremiah, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. I knew you before you were born and I set you apart. Again, you are the only you in this world and you have been set apart by God. You have strengths that only you have. Are you using them? Are you using them to point people to God? Do they see him when they look at you? You are so dearly loved. I couldn't preach a whole Mother's Day sermon without showing you my four-month-old. So here's some good pictures of, of Paxton. Yes. Yeah, he's, he's cute. I, I'm totally a mom, right? Like, I walk around. My, we get pictures from daycare. And, like, if I get a picture at daycare and no one's in my office, I'll find someone to show a picture of my son to. Not that they're asking for it, but, of course, I had to show you pictures of Paxton. And maybe you're thinking... I don't really care about baby pictures. That's totally fine. I forgive you. Or maybe you're looking at them. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe you're looking at them and you're like, yeah, he's pretty awesome. When I look at this face, it is perfect. When I look at this face, I love him so deeply. I can't even describe it. It is so perfect. He is flawless. And there is nothing in the world that will change my love for him. It's amazing. And it's so easy for us to believe this about other people or the people that we love, the people's faces who we look at and we feel that way. But for some reason, it's really hard for us to believe that God looks at us that way. Why is that? God looks at your face the way that I look at his face. And God looks at you and says, you are perfect. You are loved perfectly. You are flawless. I have called you by name, Isaiah 43. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Do you believe that you are known by God? That you are loved that deeply because you are. And when you believe that about yourself, when you are rooted in that foundation, other people can see that too. You church are also very, very powerful. You are so powerful. Do you know why? Because the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Next slide, if you would, please. 
Romans chapter 8. If you need some, if you need some like zhuzh in who God says you are, read Romans chapter 8. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. You are powerful beyond measure because the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Can you believe it? That's a miracle. Do you know the power that you have to impact the people around you? Parents, your kids are watching you. Do you believe in that power to point them to Jesus? Everyone else, you get to impact generations too because people watch you in your neighborhood, at work, wherever it is you find yourself, your friends. Are you pointing them to Jesus? It's the greatest thing you will ever do. We can change the world with this power. Step into your power, church. It's yours. Jesus lives in you. Again, all this comes down to is identity. Who you are and whose you are. Who you are and whose you are. God looks at you. He sees you and he knows you. You are loved and you are powerful. You are loved and you are powerful. This is a really big deal. Because when we root our identity in Jesus, in God, it shows other people how to do that too. Parents, it's really easy to put our identity in our kids. It doesn't do them any favors and it won't do you any favors. I'm like a baby parent, okay? Like, I'm only as old as my baby is in parenting, so I'm like a four-month-old parent. I am learning things. I do not know everything. But here's something I have learned. Paxton doesn't sleep. He doesn't sleep, he doesn't sleep through the night yet, and that's okay. We hang out. We chitter-chatter. He eats. But at like 1, 2, 3 a.m., I find myself in baby's room bouncing on a physio ball to put my baby back to sleep. And God and I have some really cool conversations when I'm really tired and there's not much else to do. And my prayer goes something like this. Thank you, God, that I get to be his mom. Thank you for picking me to be his mom. And then it's the hardest prayer I've ever prayed. But God, he's not really mine. He's yours. He's not really mine. He's yours, God, and you have entrusted him to me for a time. But he's yours. Someday, I'm going to drop him off at college or in a different state or wherever he chooses to go with his life. And my work is kind of finished. My job is to build a foundation for him, to point him to Jesus. If I put my identity in him, that will fail me. I know that it will. We have a perfectionism crisis among our teenagers. Uh, Anxiety and depression rates are, are through the roof, higher than they've ever been. I wonder if it's because we put so much pressure on our kids because our identity depends on them. Stop it. You're hurting them. You're hurting yourself. It will fail you. It's not eternal. Point them to Jesus. Build them a foundation that is eternal. 
same thing if you're not a parent. Put your trust in Jesus. Show the people in the world around you a foundation that matters. I've already told you I have really awesome colleagues here at Hope. Uh, One of them is Kay Hansen. She's our admin team leader up in Ankeny. And Kay and I were talking about parenting before Paxton was born. Kay is a mom, a grandma. She's amazing. She's been around Hope a long time, and I learn stuff from her all the time. And I asked her if I could share this story. Kay and I were chatting about motherhood, and she said, you know, Ashley, being a mom really ignited my faith journey. And I said, really? Tell me about that. And she said, well, I was really lonely in high school. She said, I thought that being a mom, being a wife, it would fill me up. And she became a mom, and she became a wife. And one Sunday, she was sitting in church. And she was empty. She said, it just wasn't enough. And I said, but you were sitting in church. What do you mean it wasn't enough? And she said, I didn't know Jesus yet. I needed to know Jesus personally. And I said, well, what'd you do about that? And it was in a conversation with her mom where she realized she needed to dig in. She said, I started reading my Bible. I started praying. Every spare minute she had, I started reading my Bible and I started praying and she said it changed my life. Being a mom, a parent, it might be part of your calling. It's not your full identity. Fill in the blank with anything. I will be fulfilled when I'm a parent, I'm a spouse, I get a promotion, I have more money, I have that house, I have that career, I go to that school, I'm this good of an athlete. Fill in the blank. It will fail you. It's not eternal. But we have the power to point people to eternity. It's in Jesus. And that spirit lives in you. I want you to believe that this morning, that there is something that will never fail you, and it's God. It's God. He looks at you and he says you are loved and you are powerful, more powerful than you can ever imagine. To really believe that this morning, we're going to say a phrase together. And often when we read stuff together, I kind of am like, we got to read that together. Yes, we got to read that together. And we're going to do it a couple times so that by the end, you really believe it. Let's read this together. I am a child of God. God sees me. God loves me. Again, I am a child of God. God sees me. God loves me. One more time. I am a child of God. God sees me. God loves me. Do you believe that this morning? If you don't believe it, keep saying it. Go home, say it. Tell the people around you, you're a child of God. You are loved and you are powerful. You can change generations, church. People are watching you. I have one final story. It's about a firm foundation. I'm a University of Iowa grad and I'm a homebody. I grew up in Ankeny, I grew up at Hope. I loved everything about my home, okay? Like my home community, everything about it. And so going off to college, I was like, woohoo, I'm going to college, but like, ah, I'm going to college. My parents took me to the University of Iowa and they dropped me off in my dorm room to help me get unpacked. And campus was really quiet. I was there a week early for some extra classes and my roommate wasn't there yet. And I thought, they're gonna leave me here. Like they're gonna leave me. And I'm kind of on my own. And it was, it was an exciting thought, but it was also a little scary, a little anxiety provoking. And as my parents walked out of my dorm room, my mom turned, she looked at me. And I get emotional every time I talk about this. She put her hand on my head 
and she recited the Lord's blessing over me. She said, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Do you know what it told me? I was gonna be okay. My identity wasn't rooted in my home or my parents or my home church. There wasn't a local site in Iowa City yet, you guys. There wasn't hope there. But I knew I was gonna be okay because I was built on a firm foundation and I had a choice to make. Was I gonna stand on that foundation or not? There's always a choice. But I knew I was gonna be okay. Church, wherever you find yourself this morning, in a great place, in a hurting place, as a mom, as someone who desperately wants to be a mom but isn't, as someone who's searching or feels empty, someone who's grieving the loss of a mom or an important person in in your life, I want you to know God sees you, God loves you, and you are powerful. We're gonna sing this blessing. We're gonna sing it. I want you to shout it out. Shout it out like you know it's true. And if you need it to just be sung over you, that's okay. Sit in it and believe it.